0: Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please uh, turn in them to Colossians chapter 3. Please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. And let me let me pray again as we come to God's Word. We turn our eyes upon Jesus. This morning, Lord, we turn our eyes to you. And so, Lord, we pray as we turn to your Word that that is who we will see, our precious Savior, Jesus. So Lord, help us, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Lord, we want to know you. We want to know you more this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I have a prayer that I pray often for this town. This town of Passage West, I pray a prayer often. And the prayer I pray often is that what happened in Kidderminster in England about 360 years ago would happen in this very town. 360 years ago in Kidderminster roughly, uh, there was this minister by the name of Richard Baxter. And Richard Baxter came to the town, and when he came to the town, there was very few believers in the town, and he had one simple method of evangelism in the town. He was there as a minister, and so he obviously preached the word. But what he did was he went from home to home in the town. And when he went from home to home in the town, he realized that there weren't many homes that believed and trusted in Jesus. And here's what he said in his book that he wrote, Reformed Pastor. He said this, when I first came there to this town of Kidminster, only about one family in a street worshipped God and called on His name. But when I left, there were some streets where there was not a family that did not do so. The town had about 800 homes, roughly about 2,000 to 3,000 people. When he came, there was barely any believers. And when he left... The streets were full of them. That's what I pray for this small town. That the Holy Spirit would do His work and move in lives and cause people and change people and call them to be born again by His Spirit. In fact, what Baxter says happens happened on Sunday morning was this. On the Lord's days, you might hear... Of a hundred families singing psalms and repeating sermons as you passed through the streets. The place was full of sermons. The place was full of songs. As you walked through the streets. That is my prayer for this small town. That it would be full of singing. That it would be full of sermons. But you know what? It won't be full of singing and it won't be full of sermons if it doesn't start here in this place. That is what we must do. We must sing and we must preach God's Word because if it doesn't happen here, it won't happen out there. And one of the ways we need to do that is by letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in us. And this is the point of our passage this morning. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Look at it with me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is our verse 4 this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What he is calling us to first is, let the word of Christ live. Let the word of Christ live in you. In other words, what he is saying to us this morning is, let the word of Christ do its work in you. Let the word do the work. There is a a kind of a famous saying in, in sports that we will often say, and it is this, let the ball do the work. And the reason we say that is this, if you ever throw a ball into a group of young kids, what happens when you throw a ball into a group of young kids? What happens is they all storm over the ball and kind of jumping in on it and there's no rhyme nor reason and everybody's kind of crowded in. But what happens later on in life? They spread out, don't they, in the game? And what do they do? They start passing. What are they doing? They're letting the ball do the work. And often what happens in churches, I think we, we we start scrambling, trying to do loads of stuff and scrambling around the place and trying to do more and more and more things. Whereas I think we should just calm down and let the Word do the work. It is God who changes lives. It is Him by His Word who changes lives. And so what we should simply do is let the Word do the work. We talk a lot about the Word, don't we? And Paul talks a lot about the Word. But here he doesn't just say the Word, he says the Word of Christ. And you might think that is a normal thing, but he doesn't use that phrase often. In fact, I can only find two times that he uses the phrase, the Word of Christ. More often, he uses different phrases. Let me give you some examples. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 9, he says this, I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but the Word of God is not chained. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of Truth. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the Word. Be be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage. So all the time, what is Paul encouraging Timothy to do? Be a man of the Word. The Word of God is not chained, he says. Handle the Word of truth, he says. Preach the Word, he says. But uniquely here... He calls this Word, the Word of Christ. Now why does he call it the Word of Christ? Why is he saying, let the Word of Christ dwell within you? Because that is exactly what this church is missing. This church at Colossae is missing Christ. They've got loads of teaching going on, but they are missing Christ. Christ. People are there, they're they are teaching about angels, but they're not teaching about Christ. They're teaching about festivals, but they're not teaching about Christ. They're teaching about feasts, but they're not teaching about Christ. It's all about Christ. Why? What were the angels made for? They were made to worship Christ. Christ. What were the festivals made to do? The Passover and all of them, they were made to point us to Christ. All of the feasts were made to point us onto Christ. And so you need the Word of Christ to dwell within you richly. That is what this letter is about. It is all about Christ. He said, all things were made by Him, for Him, and through Him. Who is He? He's Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the one who gives all direction. Who is that? It is Christ. And so in focusing on the Word, it is the Word of Christ. Where would we be without this Word? And this is the Word that this world needs. This world needs the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ is called, in in chapter 1, verse 4, it is called the Word of Truth. And then he says, namely, what? The gospel. So the word of Christ is the word of truth. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And this is the news that this world so desperately needs. All of us need this news. This word of Christ. What does it say in Romans 10 Um um, Romans ten thirteen it says, For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And then he moves on into verse 17 and he says this, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. We need the Word of Christ. People need to speak the Word of Christ. You this morning, you need His Word. If you don't know Him this morning, you need to turn to Him. He is the One who will change your life forever. If you come to this One who is the Word, everyone who calls on His name will be saved. No matter how young you are or how old you are, No matter what you have done in life, this Word will change your life. It has changed mine. And it has changed everyone here who loves Jesus. It is all about the Word of Christ. But this Word of Christ is not something only the world needs. It is something that we as believers need. That's who He's talking to. He's talking to the church and he's saying to the church, I want you to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I want it to live in you richly. Let this word live. Don't don't su- suppress it. Don't bring it down. Let the word live. Let it rule in your hearts. When it's talking about live, this idea of, of live or dwell, is this idea of, it essentially talks in the same way of the Spirit dwelling within us, the Spirit living within us. This is how the Word is to be within us. It is, it is to dwell richly in us. It is not to be a passing thing. It is to dwell richly. And this is why you will notice, whoever you live with, whoever you live with in life, whoever's in your house, or whoever you've lived with before, do you know what happens? They have an impact on your life. The person you live with, the people you live with, have an impact on your life. And this is why I often say to college students, listen, be careful who you live with, because they'll have an impact on your life. And what he's saying here is, live with the Word. Don't live alone. You don't have to live alone. Live with the Word. Dwell with the Word and let the Word dwell with you and have it be rich amongst you. Don't have it be cheap amongst you. Go deep into the Word. Dwell into the Word. Keep the Word. Let the Word of Christ live. Secondly, I think he says, let the Word of Christ teach. Let the Word of Christ, verse 16, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Let the Word teach. What does that mean? Basically, let the Word do the teaching. Let the Word do the work amongst you. It should be doing the teaching. I'm not interested in anybody's opinions or visions or all of these things. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what the Word is going to teach me. Let the Word do the teaching amongst you. And you know what, it, it is interesting as we were, you know, thinking about getting back together here and, and thinking about the service, we were thinking about, well, what way would we have this service, you know, this, this kind of shorter service? This is a shorter service, believe it or not. What way we would have this service and organize it? Because you kind of have to make that decision. What are we going to put up front? What way are we going to do this, this thing? And you will realize, interestingly enough, in the scriptures, we are told certain things that we need to do. We need to preach the word. We need to sing. We need to pray. We need to read. We're told these things. But interestingly enough, it doesn't tell us the order of how we're to do these things. It doesn't lay aside like an order of service. If there was an order of service, I would do it. But it doesn't lay aside an order of service. So there's a bit of openness in terms of how you decide how to do it. And so I was reading in, in, the, early, in the early church how, how they kind of did this thing. And so in the second century, I was reading uh, this guy called Justin Martyr. And you know a guy called Justin Martyr. It's not going to end well for a guy with that name. And it didn't end well for Justin Martyr. But he wrote about the church and what they did in the second century. Now, I don't agree with everything he wrote, but it was interesting how he says about the early church. Listen to what they did in the second century. On on the day called Sunday, all who live in the city, that's probably the big difference, all who live in the city, would, would gather at one place. And the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets would be read out as long as time permits. So they would begin by reading out the scriptures as long as time permits. Wonderful. When the reader has finished... The one who is presiding over instructs us. So, th- so the leader in the service instructs us with a discourse and exhorts us to imitate these noble things. So, so then they, they read and then someone gets up and then someone teaches. And not only does he teach us, but he, he asks us imitate these noble things. He wants us to apply the word to life. And then they'd all stand up and they'd pray. And he talks about how they shared the Lord's uh, supper. And then he talks about how they would give an offering and give to uh, the poor in in this offering. But what you notice about the early church is this: they would begin with the word. It was all about this word. They were they were teaching one another. Someone would stand up and read for as long as time permits, and then someone would come up and he would speak and seek to apply the word. We're teaching one another so this is how we let the word live in us. We let the word teach. And so there is this formal reality to that where we gather together and we hear the teaching of God's word together and that is a right thing. That's what Paul seems to be hammering home to Timothy. Don't forget, don't neglect the public reading of God's word. Preach the word in season and out of season. Keep teaching. That's what he emphasizes formally. But what you should be saying is this. I'm not sure if that really is talking about the formal teaching here. And I don't think it is because he says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So what that means is this. If the only teaching we have in this church is this, Sunday morning and Friday nights, we're not letting the word live deeply within us. Why? What's that? Friday nights is an hour, Sunday morning is an hour, and we congratulate ourselves. We spent about the same time as a film with the Lord. That's, that's it. But how would we more deeply let the Word dwell richly within us? If we don't only rely on the formal teaching, but if we would teach one another. Now that's a game changer. Because that means that the teaching goes on through the church, throughout the life of the church. So let me give you an example. One of the examples of of teachers in the church is, is, is older women and younger women. Titus 2, 3 says this. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So, so I'm not meant to be the only teacher here. I'm not. It, it's, it's calling us in, in 2 Timothy 3, it's, it's calling the women of the church to teach one another. Older women teach the younger women. And it's a very practical thing. I don't think it necessarily means you have to have a, a Bible degree or, or whatever. I think it's the teaching and training of life and how life works in the home and, and just letting, letting other women into your home and your life and, and letting them see the mess that is your life. Let's just be honest. And letting them see that and how you live life when, when your children are misbehaving and what you do and, and all this. This is how we learn, isn't it? And so we're called to teach one another. Another example is, is our children. If the only teaching for our children happens here on a Sunday and there on a Friday, then we are neglecting to let the Word live amongst us. Because I don't believe it is primarily the church's responsibility to teach the children. Not primarily. The primary aspect of teaching your children is in the home. And so we hear in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, I love this, it is, it is called the Shema. And here is what the Shema would say to us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Who are the primary teachers in this church of the children? The parents. You're to diligently teach. And how do you diligently teach? Just a long life's way. When you're walking by the way, when you're sitting down in your house, when you're lying down, when you're waking up, teach, teach, teach when you're doing their hair in the morning, remind them, every hair on your head is numbered by the Lord. And then they say, not yours, Daddy. (laughs) Remind them as you're driving with them to school. As you see the trees. Did you make that? Did a man make that? Who made the trees? The Lord made the trees. As you look at the night sky and see the stars. Did you make that? Did a man make that? Did you know? Do you know how many stars are in the sky? Well, I know a maker who knows the amount of stars in the sky. And so in that way we teach. Don't need a Bible degree. All you need to do is love Jesus and love your children. And that's how we teach. Let the Word teach. And then he says, let the Word admonish. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing or teaching is, admonishing is, is this idea of correcting. So teaching is the positive, you're teaching all the good things. Admonishing is the corrective, you're doing the correcting. Now when I te- think of like correcting or, or, or that kind of stuff, I, I kind of think of, of, of my old grumpy teacher who I had in school. That one who just kept correcting me. It seemed like she just lived life. I don't know if the kids have a teacher like this, but she seemed to live life just to correct me. Now I had many things that I needed to be corrected on. But, but but admonishing well is a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. But we as Christians, we're called to admonish one another, to correct one another. So how are we to do that? I believe the text gives us two realities. We do that firstly with the word you don't admonish or correct anyone with your own opinion. We admonish and correct with the word of God. So when I was a young Christian, God had blessed me when I became a Christian. He blessed me by surrounding me with these other, these three other believers in my life, these guys. And so I would just play sports and I would play them as I normally play them. And I would say the words I normally said, and I would, you know, act the way I normally acted. And, and so I had become a Christian and I was learning all these things. And, and I remember one of my friends pulling me aside and saying, you know what, like the stuff you're saying, you need to kind of stop that. And he was so gentle and so gracious, but it, it was good. I needed to hear it. I needed to be corrected that way. And so this is what we are doing. It, it's It's like Ephesians 4. What he was saying to me was what's in Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk. You see, I needed someone to come alongside me in the church and say, listen, you need to you need to fix this. And it was good for me. With the word. He did it with the word. And then we need to do it with wisdom. You see, it says with all wisdom. You see, some of us love correcting people. And love telling people what they're doing wrong, but we need to do it with wisdom. And if we were to do it with wisdom, what that suggests is two things. It suggests we will do the hard work to know the situation. We are going to figure out the situation. So if someone needs to be corrected in our lives, if we see someone needs to be corrected, we're going to try and find out the whole story. What's actually going on? What is actually happening? Find out the situation before you run in doing the correcting. And also think about the person. When you are admonishing someone or correcting someone and one another, this is what the passage is telling us to do. Think about who you're talking to. Don't think about how you would like to correct them and how you would like to admonish them, but think about them. How would they receive this best? We are called to let the Word live. We are called to let the Word teach. We are called to let the Word admonish. And finally, we are called to let the Word sing. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this is what He is calling us to do. This is how you let the Word live in your lives. Those three I-N-G words. Teaching, admonishing, and singing. This is how you do it. This is how you let the Word live. You sing it. Let us let the Word sing in this congregation. It is amazing what music does to us in our lives. All of us have had these, I don't know, these these music moments in our lives where where you hear a song and suddenly it will take you right back to that moment. There are many songs like that in my life. I fell into a burning of fire. It brings me back to the time when I used to sit in my dad's car going to Gary Ball playing that song on repeat before Johnny Cash became popular again. It brings me back to that moment my brother took that cassette tape and ripped it apart because I played it so much. And I'm free, free falling. That song brings me back to France when we did all our road trips. Constantly playing that song over and over again. My Jesus, my Savior Brings me back to the very first moment. I learned how to strum a stupid guitar in my bedroom. Finally learned a song I could sing a praise to my Savior. Jesus. Oh oh Jesus brings me back to the moment of those green coal tents in Castle Martyr, where Walter Burrell was singing and and waving his arms. Wonderful, precious moment. This is what song does for us. And this is what I believe God created it for, that we would have these moments in which we...